Well, good to be here. I've so enjoyed my time with you. Uh, it's been refreshing. It's been inspiring. It's been encouraging. It's been challenging and just so good. Thanks so much to Steve and Angie uh, for your generosity. And I don't know how many of you have ever had the possibility, the opportunity to stay in a five-star hotel or, or like a really good hotel. And uh, one of the things I love about staying in a great hotel is the breakfast. Because, you know, I don't actually eat like that at home. You know, not salmon with scrambled egg and, you know, all the, you know, and, and, and two cappuccinos. I just don't do that at home. But when I'm in a great hotel, I tell you, I max it out. Yeah, I feed myself for a whole week. And one of the things that I love about breakfast is the orange juice. The freshly squeezed orange juice. And for me, the ones with the, the, the orange juice with the bits in it. You know, when orange juice has got bits in it, that for me, that's like, man, that's just the best. But the thing is, right, if you live in a five-star hotel and you have orange juice every day with bits in it, by Friday, it's just orange juice, right? You can be in the midst of something which is phenomenal. It's five-star. It's awesome. It's fantastic. But by Friday, it's just normal. And it's something that, you know, I believe that we should be praying for again and again and again. God, I want a hunger for you. I want a, a sense of love and passion for you and for your house. That every time I come, it's like, God, I am so thankful. So thankful that I can come. So thankful. And I believe, honestly, you're in a five-star hotel. <laughs> a great church, but don't take it for granted. You've got to keep praying. Just got to keep giving thanks for what you're a part of or what you get to be a part of. And so if Cambridge had an airport, I think I might be here every Sunday night. But you can't go Cambridge, Zurich, not yet. Anyway, well, tonight I'm going to give you uh, a message. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament. And uh, like many stories, if you read the Bible, read the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's one of those stories where it's so easy just to miss, just to skip over it, just to read through it and think, wow, what has that got to do with my life? What has that got to do with 21st century living here in Cambridge? And so like much of the Old Testament, it's not only historical, but it is also there's also a principle, there's also something prophetic about it, but there's also some principle, some shadow, some thing which would be relevant for our life. And so this story is one of those stories. And it comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, and it's about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was a prophet, and he had seen God do amazing things in his life. I hope you've got a desire, or at least tonight that you pray for a desire that God would do amazing things in you and through you, that that would be a desire for your life. And so Elijah was a prophet who'd seen God do incredible things through his life. He'd seen the, the parting of the Jordan, which is pretty cool. He'd seen the sun standing still. It's a good prayer, good prayer. Let's just stand still till September, October, November over Cambridge, you know? The, uh, Elijah had seen many miracles 
in his life. He'd seen where fire fell down on Mount Carmel and barbecued 800 false prophets. That's a serious, just imagine the smell. Every time he went, he probably could remember, he could probably transport himself back to that Anyone feel sick? No, okay. But he'd seen incredible things in his life, and Elisha was basically his protege. He was basically his servant. He was just accompanying him. And he, seeing Elijah and seeing him and what he had experienced in God, created, I believe, a desire in Elisha for similar things. It's so good, you know, to be around passionate people because passion is contagious. Weirdness is not. <laughs> but passion, a couple of weeks ago, I've got four children, and uh, the oldest is Sebastian, 15. And he had one of his school buddies for lunch, okay? And at the lunch, I, you know, I was just asking this boy, what, you know, what does he do and what's he like for hobbies and stuff? And he says, I like to listen. I'm, 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 a, I'm a bird watcher. I said, sorry? How, how old are you? You're 15. What do you do? I watch birds. Anyway, and then I said, so tell me, tell, tell me. I was fascinated. I was puzzled, okay, at this 15-year-old boy. And he began to describe birds to me, right? He began to say, you play a sound of a bird, and I can tell you what sort of bird it is. And so... The funny thing was, was right, he, he, got it, he became passionate. And so it's like, wow, you know what? Since, then, since that conversation two weeks ago, every time I hear birds, I think of him. It's like, wow, what is, what is that? I wonder if this is this or that. Passion is contagious. When we put ourselves in an environment of passion, it begins to stir something in us. You get into worship. You get into around people that are passionate for God, not half-hearted, not cold-hearted. They're all in. It stirs something. I remember talking to, a, to a, an old guy. He was about 75 years old, and he'd been in ministry basically uh, all of his life, and he was passionate for the Word of God. It so moved me. I said, man, when I'm 75, I want that same passion in my life. I want that same desire for God that you have got. It wasn't his style. He wasn't cool. He wasn't trendy. But his passion for God was inspiring. And so when we're in an environment of passion, it creates something in us. And I believe that's what Elisha saw in, in Elijah. He'd seen some of the miracles that Elijah had experienced, and it created something in him. And so that's the backdrop. That's the context of this story that we're reading tonight. So it comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, and then I'm going to start in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The language is very polite. I'm sure it wasn't quite as polite as that, but anyway. Then the Lord said to him, stay, Elijah said to him, stay here. Elisha, um, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. He replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went to Jericho. 
the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan, he replied. As surely as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Surely, as we read this story, we can sense Elijah trying to get rid of Elisha. And Elisha must have thought, Elijah, why are you trying to get rid of me? I believe it wasn't that he was frustrated with him. He didn't need some personal space. I think it was because Elijah was wanting to test Elisha and see whether he had really decided to stick with him and to follow him. We drop down in this story to verse 9, and it continues. When they had crossed, crossed the river, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Elisha's answer. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken up from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not be. So Elijah says, your desire, your dream, your passion for this another level of God, it's good, but it's also difficult. You have got to stick with me right to the end. And so the story unfolds. One day, they're walking together, and suddenly, Elijah is transported. He is taken out. The coat that he was wearing, which is symbolic of the grace and the anointing upon his life, drops to the floor. I find it interesting that it didn't drop upon Elisha. Elisha had to respond. It was there. It was lying there. And so Elisha picks up the coat and shouts out this prayer where is the God of my father, Elijah? He takes the coat and he hits the water and the river parts. Pretty dramatic. Seven people think it's dramatic. The other people have experienced that several times this week. Yeah? An amazing moment, a life-defining moment for Elisha. Easy to think, oh, wow, that would be cool. I'd like to experience that. I want to see God use me. In such a way. This message I've called Next Steps because wherever you're at in life and in your faith life, there is a next step. It doesn't stop. Whether you're young, whether you're old, single, married, kids, no kids, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're here and you have not made a decision for Christ or whether you've been in faith for 30 or 40 years, either way, there is a next step for you. It's good to know, right? We never get to the end. And so it's easy for us to read such a story, think, wow, I would like to experience something like this. We focus on the end. We focus on the drama. We focus on the breakthrough. We focus on the miracle and forget that there is a process. There has been a journey that has led Elisha and Elijah to this point. Make sense? We forget, we, we so often underestimate the process and overestimate the event. But if we keep sowing, if we keep on the journey, I believe we will keep bumping into events that will change our life, which are significant. And so 
there was a, there's a process, there's a series of steps that Elisha went through, places that he visited before he received this grace, this mantle, this double portion that was upon Elijah. Interesting, his prayer was, I want to receive a double portion of the anointing which was upon Elijah's life. If you read, continue to read, Elisha experienced twice the number of miracles that Elisha experienced. His prayer was answered. That's cool. That's really very cool. And so I want to look at you with you tonight, four places that Elijah and Elisha journeyed to. And each of these places have a meaning. Each of them represents a phase, a stage, a next step that particularly Elisha went through before he received the answer to this prayer, before he received this double portion of this anointing. And it shows us principles for our life because however old or young we are, there is a next step. There is a next step for us. And so Elijah, they started off, Elijah and Elisha started off, started off in a place called Gilgal. They went from Gilgal to Bethel. This is deep. This is profound. I know it's Sunday night. But before you say hello to something new, you've got to say goodbye to something old. You cannot. There's only so far I can go. Do you know what I mean? And then it begins to become painful. It's the same with life. You've got to say goodbye before you can embrace the new that God has prepared for you. There is a process for that. There is a grieving process that takes, that takes place usually when we say goodbye to something. And so they said, uh, Elijah said to Elisha, do you want to stay here? Elisha says, no, 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 no. I don't want to stay here. I want to come with you. They left. Gilgal and went to a place called Bethel. What does Gilgal mean? I find it fascinating that so much of the, of the Old Testament has deeper meanings and principles and words have meaning. And so Gilgal wasn't simply one place, it was a gathering of places. It was a selection of houses and hamlets, so to speak, which together created Gilgal. And Gilgal means a place of separation. Gilgal means a place of circumcision. Gilgal means a place where you choose to separate and you choose to go on a journey. It's a place where for us to upgrade it, to modernize it, it's a place where we say goodbye to ourselves and say hello to the plan and purpose of God. We've got to say goodbye before we can say hello. Jesus said, come and follow me. He said to his disciples, come and follow me. Would they have known what Jesus was really offering, what he was saying, you know, some of us naturally depend on how we tick in our personality. God, I want, I want the plan of action, yeah? I want to know step one, two, three, four, five. If I do that, where will I be in three months? Where, after, if, if I do that and then, then I'm that, and where will I be in 12 months? We want to know the whole plan, but it rarely works like that. Even when God gives us a word and speaks into our life, gives us a picture of how our future is going to be, rarely is it a straight path. It's usually a zigzag, and we see that here in this process. And so Gilgal was a place of separation. It means me, my. I am in the center of my choice. Most people, maybe even most Christians, live in a place called Gilgal, twin town with Cambridge. Okay, meaning their, their preference is in the center. Their, their expectation, their desire, their wants, their needs, 
They are in the center. God is not the priority. Church is not the priority. It's what they want. And so to come together on Sunday is just another option. You know, it fights with family, it fights with hobbies, it fights with the weather. The sun comes out, we've got to make the most of this sunny weather. It might not come until, you know, September. And so, you know, all these things, why? Because we're still living for ourselves. We're still living for our own preference. Life is still full of options, and you are the one that is choosing. And that's why... I think this is a place where so many people live. They don't live from conviction. They live from their own self-interest. This is what I've experienced in life, that 10 people, five people, 10 people with a conviction are so much more influential and powerful than 100 people with an interest. Five people, 10 people who are convicted about something, who begin to prioritize their lives around those convictions, are so much more powerful than a hundred people who are in it until it gets a little tough. I find it interesting that, you know, one of the stories where Jesus takes it up another level, takes it up another gear, he says, you know, if you want to follow me, then you need to do this. You need to eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, which again is a little bit confusing, right? And people said, no, 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 no. This is where it gets too much. If we've got to give up and follow you, this becomes too much. And it says, at that time, many left him. That encourages me. <laughs> if they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to me. Okay, and so Gilgal is a place where we are still in the center. It's a place where we've not yet decided to go on a journey, not yet decided to follow Jesus, we, it's a place where we still need a purpose which is bigger than ourselves. We may believe in God in a general sense, but the, we're still numero uno. We're still in the center. We're still in this land of decision. And it's a place where we've got to say goodbye to Gilgal and start a journey of faith. Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. I think he wanted to test him. I don't think he was frustrated with him. I just think it's a place which is easier to stay because it's still about you. But Elisha says, no, 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 no. I'm sticking with you. So they went, they left, and they arrived. They went to a place called Bethel. What does Bethel mean? What does Bethel mean? It means the house of God. It means the place where, where God is worshipped. It means a place of refuge for travelers. Those that are searching, those that are wandering, it's a place where they find answers to their deepest needs. I had somebody come up to me recently, and, and he said to me, man, you got a great karma. Well, that's not really biblical language exactly, you know, and if, if, we, if I put on my Christian glasses, it's like, I could get offended. I, I thought it was exciting. I said, wow, thank you. What do you see? What colors? Yeah? He was just trying to find language to what he was feeling, to what he was seeing. And so Bethel is the place where God is worshipped. We try and put language, this, this, this presometer. Or what, what did you call it, Steve? I like that. Yeah? It, it's kind of, it, how do you describe it? We, we can't find words exactly. We can just find pictures to describe it. It's a place of refuge for travelers, those that are seeking but don't know exactly what they're seeking for. It's a place where God meets mankind. It's a place of encounter. It's the stairway to heaven. It's the dwelling place of God. It's the family of God. It's the body of Christ. It's his 
church. That is Bethel. But you can only really experience Bethel when you've said goodbye to Gilgal. And you need to come home to arrive here. It is the next step after saying goodbye and saying yes to a journey of faith, of discovery with Jesus. You are no longer in transit. You are no longer wandering. You're no longer, your life is no longer full of possibilities of what you do. Your life begins to take on a purpose which is bigger than yourself because you've said goodbye and because you've said hello. You come home. I find it, I find it so fascinating that you can go across nations, you can be in places of different language and culture and feel at home. I felt it's not just the style. Style has something to do with it, but it's not just the style. It's like, wow, I feel at home. I feel home here. It's amazing, it's beautiful. And, and Bethel is a place, home is a place where you unpack your suitcase is a place where you put on your slippers. You probably, if we can get personal just for a minute, you know, when I get home after a day of work or a big Sunday or whatever, I got some comfy clothes. <laughs> I got some comfy clothes in my comfies. And I put my slippers on and it's like, yeah, I'm home, I'm relaxed. Church is a place where we need to relax, where we are home. There's, there's not too many facades and faces and pretense that is going on. It's a place where we unpack the suitcase. This weekend, I'm here with you guys. I did not unpack. Well, that's not technically true. I did take my wash bag out of my bag and put it in the bathroom. That was about it. Okay, I hung my coat up behind the door. That's it, okay? No big unpacking. Why? Because I know where my home is. I know where my family is. I celebrate with you guys, but tomorrow I'm starting the journey of going home to my wife, to my family, to my church, to where I belong, to a place of destiny that God has created for me. If you don't know where that is, that's confusing. <laughs> Ever had somebody visit your house and they didn't know it was time to go home? Yeah, probably. My brother-in-law is quite bold in these things. He just goes upstairs, put his pajamas on, comes back downstairs. It's like it's a big signal. Read the, read the message board. It's time for you to go home. I want to go to bed. Yeah? And so home is a place where we need to arrive, where we unpack. It's a beautiful place. It's a place where we're not looking for better opportunity. It's not something which is more convenient because churches also go through seasons, times, and they're not just all cool. They're not just all easy. It's a place where we say, not just in our prayer, but also we say, I'm a living stone. Build me, use me. Many people pray. I've prayed this prayer, you know, stupid prayers, but anyway, okay? God, use me. Anyone prayed that prayer? Okay. I've learned something. I never meant it. I never, I thought I meant it. I didn't mean it. This was what I prayed. God, use my lives, use my gifts, and give me a great life. That's actually what, I'm, that's what I really meant, okay? And so when we begin to be used, sometimes it's like, man, I feel used. No, that was your prayer, you bozo, yeah? And so home, Bethel is a place where we say, God, I'm a living stone in this house. I'm no longer global Christian. I'm no longer in transit. I have family. I have leaders. Some of you, even tonight, over this weekend, may, you may need to go to Pastor Stephen Angie and say, this is home. I want you to know. Why? Because you've been here so long, 
but have not been a part of the furniture. You haven't been integrated. You've not become a living stone into the very fabric of this house. But maybe tonight is a trigger where you say, I've got to make that decision. That could be your next step tonight. It's a place we have family and leaders. It's a place where we no longer live for ourselves. It's a place, Bethel, the church, is a place of turnaround. Jacob met God in a place called Bethel. It's so beautiful. Jacob arrives as a liar, as a cheat, as a deceiver, living life in fear. He had a price upon his head. And in Bethel, he meets God. And it was in Bethel that God gave him the courage and the strength to bring his past in order. Anyone got some past that they need to bring into order? Okay, one, two, three. Yeah. There is, I promise you, there's stuff that we need to. Sometimes it's a letter of forgiveness. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes you need to give something back. Whatever it is. But Bethel is a place where God begins to deal with us and gives us courage to deal with our past that our future is open up to us. It's a place where we grow in wisdom, where we grow in knowledge, where we grow in our faith. This is the place called Bethel. We've already said goodbye. We're no longer living ourselves, and we've said hello to the house of God. It's a beautiful place. Fear and transformation. Fear is taken away and transformation begins to happen. What's the next step? Gilgal? Bethel, Jericho. They're just checking. I know the story. Yeah. And so they went on to a place called Jericho. And Elisha, uh, Elijah says basically the same thing. Uh, Elisha, just stay here. Stay here in, in church. Just enjoy yourself. You know, the band are going to play again. And I'm just going to go on a little bit of a mission here. And I'll see you next week. And Elisha says, no way, man. I'm sticking close to you. Our lives are connected. And so at every place, every step, every part of the journey of faith, there is opportunities to get off, opportunities to stop growing, opportunities to grow cold. I find it fascinating that you grow cold slowly. At home, in my, in, in where we live, I have an office in the basement, and the basement is not heated in the same way as the rest of the house. And so if I work too long in the basement, my body temperature slowly, 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 slowly goes down. And then there's a moment where I realize I'm cold. I'm cold. I need to arrest this process of getting cold. I need to go upstairs. I need to move. I need to put some other jumpers on or, or whatever. Why? To get my blood circulation going, my temperature up. It's the same in faith. We can slowly, slowly, slowly grow cold. We were passionate maybe to start with, but our, our body language, our heart begins to reveal that we're getting colder. And so along the journey, there are ex-opportunities for us to sit back, become more passive, just to enjoy the music. But this place, Jericho, is a place that connects us to the future. Jericho was a stronghold. Historians say that Jericho was so big, it was such a massive fortress, that the walls of Jericho were so thick and so wide and broad, the chariots could race around the wall tops. That's a big city. That's a big stronghold. Jericho was a stronghold. It was a fortress. It was the first city that the people of Israel entered after crossing over into the promised land. I find it interesting that straight after promise, straight after miracle, there was a stronghold. 
speaking to them, intimidating them, saying, give up. There's no way that you're going to conquer us. And God was saying to them, I am always with you. I'll give you every place, but first you've got to defeat Jericho, and then you can have the rest. What does Jericho mean? It means a place of fragrance, a place of aroma. A pleasant aroma is released in Jericho. As the walls come down of Jericho, a fragrance, a pleasant fragrance is released in our life. But first, the walls have got to come down. Brokenness, the process of God, God dealing with us, is not weakness, it's strength. It's beautiful. It brings forth God's promises, God's character, God's fruit, God's spirit in our life. It's not something weak, it's something strong. So when we leave Gilgal, we go to Bethel, we encounter God's presence, we encounter forgiveness and mercy, but His grace doesn't leave us there. It wants to take us on a journey. We have a, we have a, you know, we have a, a, a value of acceptance wherever you're at in life. We don't want to put expectation on you when you come through the door, but the vision is not acceptance. The vision is transformation. Jesus never said, just, I'll just accept you. I embrace you, but I want to do a work of transformation in your life. And so when we hang around the house, things begin to work in our life and, and processes. And this is where Jericho is representative, where strongholds and attitudes begin to be dealt in our life. Wrong thinking, destructive habits, things that would keep taking us out of the game, would destroy our life, destroy our relationships, destroy our marriages, false priorities which would hold us back. And so if we don't allow God to do those work in us, the Holy Spirit putting His finger on stuff, things bringing order into our life, we'll keep being held back. I remember when I came to faith, I find it fascinating that the Holy Spirit doesn't work according to our agenda, not always according to what we would expect to put his hand on first. Before I was a Christian, I came, came to faith at 22. Every fourth word was a swear word. It was completely, I was gifted in this stuff, you know, it was just natural for me. Every fourth word was some curse word. As soon as I came to faith, it was like, this is disturbing me. Nobody said, you shall not swear. It was a work of the Holy Spirit that began, I stopped immediately. Or every time one word came out, it was like, it disturbed me. It probably disturbed some others, but it disturbed me. Interestingly enough, I was still smoking, 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 smoking. I don't mean cigarettes, a different type of smoking. Holy Spirit didn't put his finger on it for a while. I don't know, maybe I wasn't open for it, but it, it was interesting. The first thing he dealt with was, was my language and then my habits. And so after a few months, he began to say, hey, you know, cannabis is not really going to help your future. And so it took me a while to break that habit, but I find it fascinating. Why? Because it's about opening up the future. It's not about God taking from us. It's about God getting his blessing to us. Tithing is not about getting from you. It's about bringing God's blessing to you, opening up his promises to our life. This happens in Jericho. And so the next stepping stone after Jericho was the Jordan. What is your next step? What is, what is it that God is wanting to do in your life? I find it fascinating that, you know, in Jericho, in Bethel, and then in Jericho, this is a place where, where 
we, be, we begin to knock up against each other again and again, just like here. We have new people come and they're, they're blessed and they're excited. This is a new type of church. In, a, in, in our country, there's basically just Catholic and uh, the Reformed Church, and so free churches are not really known. It's like, wow, I didn't know church could be like this. And so they're like, this is amazing. And we're excited. And I just say again and again, just hang around. Just hang around. Six weeks. Give me six weeks. I promise you someone will offend you. I promise you that some joke that I tell I'm preaching will, you know, get under your skin. Isn't, that's not my vision to offend you, to irritate you, but I promise somebody will be sat in your seat. Something, okay? And it says in Proverbs 27 that, what does it say in Proverbs 27? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's where we rub up against each other. It's where someone others' habits. We have lots of um, uh, different cultures. We have over 40 nations uh, in, in our church family. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It sounds awesome, but the thing is, they bring different cultures with them. Uh, my wife was born in Argentina. We have lots of, uh, she's Swiss, but we have lots of Latinos in, in the house. They, they, they tick different. They tick different, especially the ones from Chile. They, they, they tick different, honestly. Uh, and sometimes when cultures get together, it's like iron sharpens iron. So much easier to run away just to find your own little group exactly the same. How boring is that? It's in the house of God that rich and poor, high and low, educated, uneducated, get to do life, get to sit next to each other in the house of God. Again and again and again, I say, man, it's amazing. Most of you I would not have chosen. Yeah? Most of you. To be honest, most of you I would not have chosen. But it's so good that we get to do life together. We get to build God's house together. Now I see it as a privilege. Sometimes it's an irritation, but most of the time it is an awesome enrichment in my life. I now speak 10 words of Spanish that I probably never would have spoken if we didn't have Latinos in the church. Yeah? And so it's a place where God begins to deal with us, where we, things get exposed. But... It becomes a little uncomfortable and so much easier to run away. And then Elijah says to Elisha, after Jericho, I'm going to go down to Jordan. What does Elisha say? Well, actually, he says to him, stay here, same thing. I'm going to go on. Elisha says to him, no, I'm coming with you. My future is connected to you. Wasn't out of fear? Wasn't out of obligation? Wasn't out of religious duty? He was living a life on a mission. And Jordan comes after Jericho. And the meaning of the word Jordan is the one who descends. The one that flows down. The one that flows through. John the Baptist baptized hundreds, thousands of people at the Jordan. He baptized Jesus. This is where the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. This is where Jesus heard the voice of the Father speak to him. My beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything. Hadn't done any miracles, any ministry, my beloved son. It was in Jordan that Jesus heard the voice of the Father. It's a place of power. It's a place of empowerment. It's a place of calling. It's a place of destiny. It's a place of release. This is a place where another dimension of God's power and grace is released upon your life. This is where Elisha graduated, where he received his degree. This was where he received an inheritance that nobody could take from him. Nobody. People can take your money, but what you know, what you've experienced is an inheritance 
revelation, we can choose not to live in it. But when something is revealed to you, it is something that nobody can take from you. I remember reading a website from a very intellectual person from our neighborhood. 27 reasons not to believe the Holy Spirit and the gifts of today. 27 reasons. This man is a lot more intelligent than my good self. But the problem is, I've experienced the Holy Spirit. And says, I don't care what you say. I've got an experience, I've got a revelation, I've got an inheritance that nobody can take from me. And this is where we, this is where we receive it in a place called Jordan. Only after Elisha had stayed on the journey and had gone through these different stages from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and then on to Jordan did he receive this promise, this fulfillment, this grace, this anointing that he had so desired. This was where Elijah asked Elisha, is there anything I can do for you? Just imagine, just imagine. Walking with Jesus, with Jesus, not just Elijah, walking with Jesus and Jesus saying to you, is there anything I can do for you? What would you like? What would you say? If that question was posed to you, Elisha said to Elijah, I want a double portion of the spirit which is upon you. Maybe the worship team could just come and join me. What is your next step? Because I promise you, there is one. There's multiple opportunities, as I said, to get off the journey, to get off the bus, to stop, to stand still, for our hearts to go cold. Lots of other people do that. Some people sit back. Some people, some friends, circumstances challenge us, try and will try and take us off track, try and slow us down. But if we keep going, there is a prize, there is a promise, there is a, a, another level which is made available to us. I remember many years ago listening to an old man and it was so obvious that this elderly gentleman who had been in faith for many years had an authority. It wasn't just a gift, it was an authority. And so at the end, he just opened it up for some questions. And I remember so clearly one person said, how did you get this authority? And this elderly gentleman said to him, said to us, through suffering. It hit me. Through suffering. I don't mean suffering in a stu through stupidity, but suffering in a way that we keep on going. Paul says, I want to I want to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings that I might somehow attain the resurrection. That's a stupid prayer unless you've got revelation. And Paul said, I want to, I want to, in other words, I want to keep going. I want to be obedient to the heavenly call. I find it fascinating in this story that again and again there was a group of prophets, a school of prophets, and they had obviously discerned. They were having dreams and visions. They knew that today was the day when Elijah was going to be taken away from Elisha. Interestingly enough, Elisha keeps saying, Shut up! I'm trying to stay focused here. What was Elisha doing? Very menial tasks. Probably in comparison to the school of the prophets, it did not seem so spiritual. But the fascinating thing is that that group of prophets, the prophetic group, did not go on the journey. It was only as Elijah and Elisha had crossed over that Elijah asked Elisha, what would you like from me? 
There's some things that we will only hear, some things we can only receive when we keep on going, when we don't give up. Those group of prophets could see, but they could not hear what Elijah was saying to him. Don't be afraid to be faithful. Don't be afraid to be to keep going when others are giving up. The workings and the processes of God are not always straightforward. They're not always one, two, three, four. Because if you look at a, a map of Israel, this was not a straight line. This was zigzagging backwards and forwards. So often the processes of God are not straightforward. But God has a plan. If we keep on the journey, it will bring good fruit. Amen. I wonder if I could pray for you tonight. Can we stand together? What is your next step? Just put your stuff down, close your eyes just so everyone is in a private space for themselves. What is your next step? Has God just put His finger on something? Has a flow of thoughts come to mind? Has somebody come to mind that you need to forgive? Is it is your next step that you need to say goodbye to Gilgal, to your own life, your, you being in the center, to making a clear decision, I want to follow Christ. Is your next step to say, hey, I'm going to unpack my suitcase. I'm going to come home. This will be my house. Maybe your next step is to allow those processes, those dealings of life and habit, mindsets, to be rubbed up against, to be challenged. So you don't just walk away. You don't just run away. You don't just fight back. Say, God, what are the things that are stopping me, hindering me, entering into the promises of God? Maybe you're here and your next step is to step up, to put on a t-shirt, so to speak, to take on responsibility, to step up and give, to step up and tithe, to step up and carry something. Everything changes when we begin to carry. When you are in the game, when you're on the field, everything changes. What is your next step tonight? Father, I just thank you. Just thank you tonight for each individual here, each life that is represented, each story that is here, each story that is being told and the potential and the future and the destinies that are here. And God, I just pray for courage. I just pray for strength. I just pray for clarity of mind that each one would see what their next step is. Not two, three, four, but what the next step is. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for that grace, for that desire, for that hunger, for that thirst to grow, to increase, that each one would boldly take a step forward in Jesus' name.